as Jesus makes his way through the Sermon on the Mount and we come to the end of what's called the sixth antithesis where Jesus will say, you've heard that it was said and then turn that teaching uh, on its end. And this morning we come to a bit of a revolutionary one. And in one end you might say, well, I, uh, this doesn't relate to me. I don't have any real enemies. And in some ways you might be right. Yet in our minds and in our actions, we can have enemies. Pastor Dan told a story last week of being called Four Eyes and what his dream response was to that, dropping the football player on his knees and successfully doing that. Well, before Pastor Dan had shared that story, I'd planned to tell you a story of when I was in first grade. I would walk to school 1.2 miles every day to Herman Avenue Elementary School. It was very safe roads. The world was a different place. It was fine for me to walk. Me and my friend Michael, every day we're off on our way to school. And every day in this little field right next to our school, this boy Billy would stand. Billy was in third grade. He was bigger, he was tougher, and he was angry. And every day he picked a little first grader to punch. And so all of us first graders that walked knew one day our day was coming. And I'll never forget, it was in the fall because I figured let's, it's going to come to me first because I was always one of the smallest kids in my class. That never changed. And so one day we're walking down Herman Avenue and Billy looks my way. And much like Pastor Dan, some thoughts rose to my mind. And I don't remember exactly. I was in first grade, what, I was seven years old. But I remember what my parents told me happened next because they got called. I walked up to Billy instead of waiting and I hit him. And then I ran. Because I knew if he caught up, I was done for. But you see, what had happened is later on I found out that Billy had no intention of hitting me. But I'd seen him hit everybody else and figured, well, an enemy of my friends must be my enemy as well. And I'd created it and I'd made this scenario. And for the first time, my parents got to teach me the principle of loving your enemies. And so I learned the hard way that I was not to punch people just because they looked at me, nor was I to look at someone with animosity and hatred. That this world, I remember my dad teaching me time and again, he said, Mike, this world is full of evil. Don't add to it but what you, by what you think people might do. He said, find a way to love them. And throughout my dad and my mom's efforts at raising poor, or raising me, I feel bad for them, not me, they taught me always, pray for them. Love them enough to give them to God. And we're going to look today at why my parents knew that was good advice long ago, why it was bad wisdom for me to punch Billy. He was eventually nice to me later on. But also with this idea of who is our enemy? Because we live in a troubled world. We live in a world full of hatred. In fact, we throw the word hatred around, hate like it's nothing. I hate mashed potatoes, which is actually true. But yet, we can also see countries around the world rife with pain. For the past 60 years, we've seen India and Pakistan have a barbed wire fence across the border of, uh, I think it's Kashmir, and there's pain and, and fighting there. We look at Syria and the conflict there. Israel and Palestine, there is conflict. Everywhere we look, there is this hatred, this me versus you mentality. And how do we, as Christ followers, respond? 
Well, not much has changed in 2,000 years, and Jesus had a pretty good idea of what we should do. But sadly, the church hasn't always responded the way we should. So companies have decided to try to help us out. And today we're going to see uh, two videos from an ad campaign done by Coca-Cola. They figured if, if the rest of the world wasn't making peace, they were going to do their part. So I'd like you to look at the screen and see what Coca-Cola's efforts were in trying to make the world a better place and loving our enemies. that easy. Now, for some of you, and I know there's a few of you out there, myself included, that love a cold Coca-Cola, and that really does make the world a better place. But despite what companies try to tell us, they cannot produce peace. Just offering somebody a Coke can go a long way, and we're actually going to talk about that later on. But there is a way that we can learn to love even those that have hurt us deeply. And I've lived a privileged life. I get to get up here and speak in front of you as one that doesn't understand persecution personally. Yes, I was picked on because I was Christian small and little and these things, but my life has never been threatened because of my faith. But when Jesus sat down and looked to the disciples and was telling them, this is what's coming He didn't hold back. He never hid from them the truth that suffering would come. That when I teach you to be revolutionary, when I teach you to change the world through love, people aren't going to love that message. People are going to be confused. And when confused people react, how do they typically react? In anger. Let me respond. Let me see if I can help you understand this principle. I do not speak Cantonese. Well, okay, very much. And what I do speak is wrong, and you're all just very patient with me. And you know what happens when an American tries to get his point across to a native Chinese speaker and there's no understanding between the two languages? What happens? What does the American typically do? We get louder. We think if we talk louder, you will understand us. And that is our solution to helping get our points across. Does that work? No. Screaming our message is no more useful than a Cantonese speaker speaking more slowly back to us. I still don't understand. Yet we tend to get angry because we don't understand. Because we've said this is a dividing line and this separates me from you and we're going to fight about that. 
And Jesus looked at the world around him and he says this. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, you will not find this in scripture. This, like many of the others, Jesus was referring to tradition or to biblical teaching that Jesus was, was helping us understand what was meant by it. God never said, hate your neighbor. And he didn't say, hate your enemy. That wasn't told. In Leviticus 19, the passage that was often referred, God spends time saying, you need to take care of the aliens. Because when God was giving the law to the people of Israel, they were to be a people that was pure ethnic, in ethnicity. They were to worship God and God alone and they were to follow him and they were to show the rest of the world what it meant to do that. And in doing so, they were supposed to love the alien, love the poor and love their neighbor. Three groups that cannot, and love their brother. If I can find an enemy, it's going to be in one of those groups. Somebody that's not like me, somebody that I'm related to. Come on, you have family you don't get along with. It happens. Somebody that I don't understand their situation and I don't want them around because they scare me. We've seen time and again, people don't know how to react to homeless people. Because what if they bring a bad influence into my kids? And so they become an enemy. Or what about our neighbors? What if our next door neighbor moves furniture at midnight and we're tired of hearing that? They become our enemy, right? We do all these little things and we begin to believe that this traditional saying, wherever it came from, is how we are to live. Love those that make you happy. Right? That's easy. <laughs> there are, I have wonderful friends and you... You make me happy. I want to be with you. But those that criticize or hurt me or hurt my family, it's probably going to be harder for me to want to be with you, correct? And we say, well, that's common nature. We should hate our enemies. And Jesus is like, no, it's not. And so the question begs us is, well, Mike, just like the guy asked, who's my neighbor, can I ask you who's my enemy? And that, honestly would make sense is a good question. But I think it's the wrong question when we understand what Jesus is teaching. I think the right question is, whose enemy am I? You ever think about that? Whose enemy am I? Huh. Well, everybody likes you, right? Yeah, well, th there's one problem with that assumption, and it's found in Romans chapter 5. For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So let's go ahead and break this down for a minute. Jesus teaches us Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelling among us, says, I tell you, love your neighbor and pray for those who persecute you. And we'll get to that. And then Paul comes along and reminds us, oh yeah, you, apart from Jesus Christ, were an enemy of God. Let that sink in for a minute. You, 
apart from Jesus Christ and his redemptive reconciling work, his reunification work, bringing us back to the Father through his sacrifice, the good news of Jesus, that's what we're talking about there, only through him are we brought in and is adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Only then can we be called friends of God. But see, we don't like to think that there was ever this time where we were God's enemy because who could be an enemy of God who is love? Well, lots of people, and they have continued to persecute those that love God. We see that as much now as we have over the history of Christianity. But interestingly, when we want to argue this point of, well, I've never really been an enemy of God, we forget basic theology. Basic theology teaches that God is love, correct? Okay, good. You're with me so far. How does God feel about sin? That word I said that we throw around flippantly, it's true here. He hates it. He cannot look upon it because he is holy. He is so righteous that he cannot even look upon sin. Now, Paul also teaches us just a little bit before this that some of you, not me, but some of you have sinned. Wake up, people, come on. Some of you have sinned? Oh, okay, a few. This side over here. Well done. I'm going to talk to you guys for a while. The rest of you are sleeping. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, correct? But we just clarified that God hates sin. Uh Uh-oh. If God hates sin and all have sinned, uh uh-oh, we were enemies of God. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Praise God, Noah. I wouldn't get to be up here if that was the end of the story because I'd long since be dead. But... We, who believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, should we be saved through the very life of Christ, risen victoriously over sin? How do we live? We live victoriously. And one person on this side and a few over there are paying attention and get excited about that. You guys in the middle, come on now. What that means is that on our own, we are an enemy of God. We cannot save ourselves. Think about the, the weather we've had recently. It's been windy. It's been kind of stormy. It's been kind of ugly. Now think about Big Wave Bay. You ever been there? There's a reason it's called Big Wave Bay, correct? Because the waves are big for Hong Kong. Now if you're not a good swimmer and you go out into Big Wave Bay what are your chances of survival? Pretty low. You're not going to make it on your own. You will not be able to save yourself. You need someone to act on your behalf to save you. In our sin, we were drowning. But God, in his infinite love for us, 
gave him who knew no sin to be sin for us to rise victoriously over that sin and invite us into life and say, come follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I've got a life for you that is so much better than anything you can imagine here on earth. A life of peace that is everlasting, not full of enemies, but even your enemies you can call friends. How are we doing at that church? Can you look at someone that might see you as an enemy and say, I love you, you're my friend? Maybe not. But we don't stop there. Because the old school, like I referred to in Leviticus 19, taught us so clearly, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. Okay, so we're talking neighbor and we're talking brother here and they can be interspersed uh, equally. And basically, we can think about anybody here, someone that's offended us, someone that has hurt us, someone that has not treated us well, but that we can build up that bitterness in our heart. And even in the Old Testament, the God of anger in the Old Testament, we often talk about him. He loved just as much in the Old Testament as he does in the New Testament. Don't misunderstand who God is. He is just as just in the New Testament as he is in the Old Testament. He is every bit as holy throughout. And he tells us here, just like we learned last week, it's not your job to take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. So I read that and I hear your own people. I'm an American. So really the five of you Americans out there, I'm supposed to not hold a grudge against you. But if you're from New Zealand, I can't stand you. (laughs) By the way, that is not even remotely true. I had someone the other day say, I think you're more Kiwi than American. Far be it for me to disagree. That doesn't mean that you get to only like the people that are like you. Because if you go up in Leviticus 19, you read what Jesus or what God tells us earlier to take care of the poor, to love them, to take care of the alien. Who's an alien? Those that aren't from your ethnicity, correct? Do I understand the word alien or from another planet if you so need to go that route? Fine. You get the idea. God doesn't give us an out. He never has. He's never, he's, he commanded the Israelites at times to destroy people that were in blatant rebellion against him. And his justice is holy. Don't be confused by that. God is holy and he will deal rightly and harshly with sin. But our role in that is twofold. First, obedience. Second, in that obedience, we love. Out of our love for God, we can love anyone. There's no one that there's an exception to. Mike, it's hard. You've never heard my story. You don't understand the pain this person put me through. You don't understand how they have hurt me, how I have been wounded. You don't understand all my friends left me. Why would I want to love them? You don't understand what my employer did to me. You don't understand what my parents did to me. You don't understand what the government does to my people. You're right, I don't. But God does. And Jesus does understand because you don't understand the pain and the suffering he went through on our behalf. We sometimes treat that lightly. 
But it's an amazing, amazing thing what he would do willingly, even though it was suffering to the point where he wept blood. He sweat blood, which is a physical act in times of severe anguish. But he said, not my will, but yours be done, God. And he suffered for us. We worship a God who understands any amount of suffering you have endured. And he is still holy and he still loves, and he still invites us to love. So what does he teach us to do? What does this Jesus, God becoming man, teach us? He says, think differently. Look at things differently. I love that about Jesus. He said, you've heard what it said. Now what if we thought about that a little differently and understood what God was really getting at? In this case, God doesn't say, hate your neighbor or your enemy. He says, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. In other words, this world we live in is God's, not ours. That thing at the bottom where he says he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, If you've ever studied John Calvin, what that is teaching is what's called common grace. God's favor is generally bestowed on everyone in certain ways, like the air we breathe. Everybody take a deep breath. That is a gift from God. He gives that to all people, regardless of whether you have believed in him or not. There are certain things God has done for all people. And John Calvin called that common grace. And basically, Jesus here is reminding us, this world is not your own. It's mine. It is God the Father's. And we will glorify him in it. And what I tell you to do is true. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And then... And just in case you didn't like Matthew's explanation, Luke explains it even more. He says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Oh man, maybe I can pray for them. But come on, Mike, do good to those who hate you. Ah, Bless those who curse you. Really? And pray for those who mistreat you. Do I have to mean it? Yeah. You do, because Jesus says it. And do you realize that if we choose to follow these principles, it changes how we interact with the world all around us. It's not rocket science. I love that Jesus could teach massive life, universe-changing principles and make it so simple. Why? Well, he's God, and he could do it. I told you before that Coca-Cola has decided they want to be a company that's going to change the world and bring peace through Coca-Cola. They're not succeeding, by the way. Uh, But in this open happiness campaign, they tried something else. And I mentioned briefly, and I want to say on the front end, I do not understand the depth of the conflict in India and Pakistan. Uh, I don't know all of the history of it. I've read some about it. This isn't a political statement on who's right and wrong. I know there's religious battling going on. I know there's territorial battling going on. But Coca-Cola decided they wanted to do something about it that went beyond the battle. And it's 
Simplicity is amazing. But again, it goes back to we try so hard to force things. So I'd like you to watch this video and then I'd like you to compare the difference of when man tries to save himself and what Jesus has to say. So let's watch. The relationship between India and Pakistan is one that has seen a lot of lows. It's stressful, it's tense. It seems it's not improving and it's getting worse. It's only been 60 years that we have been apart. Before that, we were living harmoniously together. I think all the strife would go away if you took away the barbed wires in the middle of the two countries. It saddens me that we have this neighbor that we can't even go visit. They have this perception which they ingrain in the head that that's the bad guy. But when they actually meet them, they realize, you know what, he's just like me. Mainly because there's no communication. They're near us, but we have no access to them. And it's sad, because together I think we would do wonders. where young people can exchange ideas, thoughts, gestures, and take away that communication gap that exists. If I have any opportunity to go to India, I'll surely go there. The whole idea of actually touching hands, it's like communicating with each other without words, and that action speaks louder than anything else. This is what we're supposed to do, right? We are going to take minor steps so that we are going to solve bigger issues. It is more about, you know, how similar we are as opposed to how different we are. Togetherness. Humanity, this is what we want, more and more exchange. Coca-Cola teaches you to open happiness and you can have a moment of unity. Jesus Christ teaches us to open his word and you create lasting relationships that are bathed in the love of God. Now, I like Coke, but I don't want you all to go buy a can of Coke when you're done. Give that money to the Samatu family. We've already been able to provide a car for them. Now we can provide sight to those that they are working with and loving and serving. That is true love. Coca-Cola will come and go. But the difference is what Jesus teaches us when he teaches us to think differently. 
I love that Coke had that idea and for that moment it brought people together. But Jesus didn't say it's momentary. Jesus was giving an ethic, a new world view that is eternal, even in a broken world that we find ourselves in now. I don't understand all of the ethnic debates raging in this world, nor do I understand all the enemies you wrestle with internally and out. But I do know this. This is what God's word teaches. And it's a great checklist. But it only happens when we have internalized what this teaches. In other words, when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, let him transform us from the heart, saying, God, all of this world is yours, and you tell me to love you, and in loving you, I can't help but loving others. Okay, I get that. So how's that going to look as I continue to work out my salvation with fear and trembling? What's that going to be like for me? Well, Jesus tells us, and he makes it super simple. He says, love your enemies. I'm reticent to do this, but I think we have to. Think for a moment of one person that's really hard for you to love. Please don't say their name out loud. But think about that person. And then think and ask yourself the question, do I love them? Jesus doesn't stop there. And he says, pray for those who persecute or mistreat you. That word persecute, if you go back to the Greek, uh, it chase you down, seek to cause you harm and oppose you. There are people that make life very difficult for you. And I wish I could make that better. But I cannot necessarily change them. But I can invite you to let the Lord change your heart and invite you to think and live differently. And how do you do that? You love. You say, God, I am laying this person at the foot of the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, none of this is possible if we don't understand Jesus and the cross. But if we lay them at his feet, you'll see where we're going with this. If we lay them at the feet of the cross, he can teach us to love because we didn't deserve his love and he gave it freely. And he prayed for us. What did Jesus pray in his dying breath on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loved them enough to pray for them as they were poking, prodding, hurting, and crucifying him. Aren't we supposed to do the same? Pray for those who mistreat us. But how do we pray for them? We'll come back to do good. I want to back up. We don't just pray, Lord, help them to see I'm right and they're wrong. I know that's the prayer we want to pray. Help them to change to be more like me. That's the husband and wife prayer. Wrong prayers. You know what Jesus is teaching here? When he teaches us to bless those who curse you, he's saying, Mike, if you've got an enemy, somebody that's persecuting you, Pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would change their lives. Pray that the love of God would so compound them that they would be changed for him and their life would be so full of the blessing of God that they would be transformed. Don't just pray that they would change and God would fix them because that's the wrong motive. That makes it about us when we understand what I talked about at the beginning, worship of God in our living temple 
We can't help but want others to see and know Him. And we want them to be free. We want them to be able to live at peace. If they treat us harshly, so be it. But we're going to pray for them that God would bless them even as they persecute us. Then we do good to them. People may hate you, but you can, you can love them. You can do good to them. It'll confuse them. They won't understand. The Bible tells us actually warm salt in their wounds. And they might even get more aggressive toward you, but don't stop. Why? Because God didn't stop pursuing us. This always goes back to Him. It's never about you and what's fair because the only thing that is fair for us as sinners is hell. But God in His infinite love gave us Jesus and loved His enemy enough to invite us back into his family. And we're invited to do the same. Do good to those who hate you. And then, bless those who curse you. <laughs> you ever wonder how far a smile can go? We just watched a video that they were told to draw a peace sign and it made them smile. And that built a bond. That person that may curse you, that may make work so horrible. What if you just smiled? What if you just sought to bless them by saying little things and big things. I love you and mean it. Don't say it if you don't mean it. Or I like your shoes. Maybe you start small if you in fact mean it. Or I know you're not pleased with me, but is there anything I can pray for you about today? because I care about you, because I want to help you, they may just go off and not treat you any better or worse. But that's not the point. The point is showing the love of God to those who may never get another chance to see him outside of our love for them. That's the God we serve. He gives us these opportunities. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the man I mentioned earlier, said it this way. He said, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side and plead for him to God. So not only do we beg God to bless him, we beg God to save him or her. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood this. He wrote this, The Cost of Discipleship, in a treatise on the Sermon on the Mount, right before World War II started. And throughout World War II, if you know anything about Bonhoeffer, he secretly tried to teach and train pastors to plant churches and to go continue the work of Christ in Germany where Hitler was busy trying to kill Christianity, kill the Jews, and kill anyone that opposed him. And at the end of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life, in April of 1945, right before World War II ends, he was arrested Actually, he was arrested in November. So he'd been in this concentration camp, this small prison, for months. And you know what's said about him? He was always joyful. The guards remarked, the man would help anyone. The man would go days without food to help others that were in need. The man would smile to anyone, no matter how much we had beaten him that day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a man that right before he was taken to be executed, an atheist asked, would you lead the Christian service at church for us this week? (laughs) And Bonhoeffer said, are you sure? Because I'm going to talk about Jesus. And the atheist said, yes, because I know he's true to you. 
That's a paraphrase of what was written. But interestingly, as Bonhoeffer was being taken away, he said, this is not the end. This is the beginning of my life. Praise God. He understood love for his enemies is transcended by love for God. And he could love anyone, even those that ultimately took his life. Could we do that? What about Corey Tenboom forgiving those that had taken her family and tortured and killed them? What about the Apostle Paul and Silas being imprisoned, being chained? And what'd they do? Sat around and said, Woe is me. These guards are horrible. I hate them. God, why would you let this happen to me? No. They were, if you go to Acts 16, with thanksgiving, they sang hymns. How annoying would that be? to those that don't understand who Jesus is. What are these people happy about? We're torturing them right now. Because they knew the true life is found in Jesus Christ. And when those doors broke open in that prison, I know where I'm going. Same place I went after I hit Billy. I'm running. But Paul, Silas, and the rest of the prisoners stayed put. And they said, nobody's left. You're safe. And what happened next? The love of Paul and Silas for their enemies led an entire family to Jesus Christ who immediately said, we want to get baptized. We want to know this Jesus. Love for enemies changes everything. And Jesus knew it and he taught it. But he also cautioned. He said, if you love those who love you, it's easy. And it's interesting who Matthew includes in the examples here. What reward will you get if you love those? That's easy. Everybody does that. Even the tax collectors do that. By the way, what was Matthew? Tax collector. He didn't just throw that in there unintentionally. Matthew knew a thing or two about loving those that paid him well. And that's probably exactly what he did. Then he met Jesus. And then he was able to teach us the Sermon on the Mount that God gave him. And if you greet only your brothers, if you greet only those people that are easy to get along with here, even the pagans, everybody else does that. That's easy. Jesus is saying, I've got a better way. I've got a bigger way. And here it comes. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Mike, you made sense right up until then. Now I'm done. Because I'm not perfect, right? No, you're not. Neither am I. So what in the world does Jesus mean to close these six, you have heard it said, statements with be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? Of course he is. He made all of this. And I can't even get through a day without making a mistake. He can't look at sin and I can't stop sinning. He can't stop loving and I can't stop getting my wife mad at me. How in the world am I supposed to be perfect? (laughs) Have you met Jesus? Because we who believe in Jesus are called to grow up into him who is the head. Jesus Christ. Perfection here isn't that you will never make mistakes. Jesus wasn't even teaching that. How do I know? Go to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, we haven't already attained it yet. 
We've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We are seen as right before God, but it will be complete when we are brought in the new heavens and the new earth, and our old is washed away and the new is here to stay for eternity. But on this earth, Jesus' blood has covered us. But we are to continue to do what Paul says, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to grow to be more like Christ. Paul even says, you who are mature, teleos, same word as perfect here. You who are mature should think similar things. Follow the example of Jesus. You can't do it on your own. There is no way you're going to get through the next 20 minutes without Christ if you're going to seek to love your enemies and love your neighbors. You're not going to do it. I've tried. It doesn't go well. You punch Billy. Poor Billy had a rough go of it. He tells us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, how am I going to be perfect if I can't be? And Jesus even, he later on, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get to Jesus in his prayer says, pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Well, doesn't that sound like I'm going to keep sinning? Yes. But Jesus Christ gave us a new righteousness washed in his blood that says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness so that our God in heaven can look down upon us and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because it's not about your works. The only reason we do good works is out of obedience and glory for God. And out of him, he empowers us to love even our enemy. And perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love is from God. Human love fades away. If you wonder about that, how come marriages fall apart? How come relationships end in conflict all the time? Because in our humanity, we fight for ourselves. When we've been transformed by the Holy Spirit, we fight for one another because God fought for us. That while we were enemies of God, he sent Christ and reconciled us to the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. How can I love my enemies? By worshiping God the Father that sent his Son to love me and saying, go and do likewise. Father, It's hard to love those that hurt us. But you gave us so much. You gave your one and only son who loved those that sought to kill him and did kill him. But then you gave new life, victory over sin, that we might be made perfect, might be made mature, that we might be your disciples called friends of yours through what Jesus has done. Please transform us from the inside out. Please let us look upon those that treat us badly. Please let us look upon those that hurt us with eyes of love. And let us do acts of love toward them. Give us ideas on how that even looks. Help us to pray for them. Help us to encourage them. Because that's what you've done for us. In your name. Amen. Please stand with us.